This show is supported by the BS Podcast Network. They got tons of great content over there. Please go check them out. In addition, sometimes I say things on this show that sounds like medical advice. I can tell you right now it's not. If you want medical advice, go talk to your doctor, not me. By supporting this show, you're supporting a cause. That cause is making science accessible for everyone. Thank you for your support. Hey, welcome back to Basically Science. This time of year, many people are daydreaming of uh, the same thing, really, and that is summer. That's right, this is part three, summer. Part three of a four-part series of understanding water through the seasons. In this episode, we're going to be talking about water and light, surface tension, and compressibility. I have a degree in integrative sciences, which is specifically designed to provide an interdisciplinary education of both physical and life science. I use this education to identify scientific principles and how they explain the world around us. If you stick around to the end of this episode, I promise I will give you 10 examples of how these topics that I mentioned above apply to the real world. By the end of this episode, you're going to understand surface tension, compressibility, and how water interacts with light. Let's dive in. First, let's start talking about surface tension. Here's a verbatim definition of surface tension. Surface tension is the property of a surface of a liquid that allows it to resist an external force due to the cohesive nature of its molecules. Last week we talked about cohesion, right? And this is when water molecules want to stick together and they want to bind together. What's different about the water molecules at the surface is they're only being bound to each other on a couple of sides rather than all sides like the water that's in the middle of a body of water. As a result, these water molecules form a stronger bond with the water molecules that they are bound to. Here's a quick analogy to help you understand kind of what I'm talking about. I want you to imagine you and a friend standing in a room. Your one task is that you need to hang on to each other, hold hands, whatever, hang on to each other, and not let go until directed. Seems pretty easy, right? Like, I mean, it unless we're talking about hours or days here, it seems like a pretty easy task to accomplish. But I want you to imagine that now you have to hang on to another person. There's another person in the room, and all three of you now have to hang on to each other and not let go. You have two hands, so, I mean, that makes it still fairly easy. Now, I want you to add another person and another one. Notice how the more people that you have to bond with and connect to, the harder it gets to hang on to one person. These water molecules kind of feel the exact same way, which is why at the surface, when they're not binding to water molecules on all sides, they're able to bind stronger together to the ones that they do bind to. When this surface tension is formed and this bond is so strong at the surface, it creates more like a wall of molecules. This wall and this surface tension, it acts as a barrier between the atmosphere or the space above the water and the water itself. What's even more special about the water is that other than mercury, water has the highest surface tension out of all other liquids. This surface tension allows things to sit on top of water and it allows water to stay bound together. It's also responsible for the formation of a droplet shape 
and it's also responsible for preventing evaporation. Next, we're going to talk about compressibility. Compressibility is actually a pretty easy concept to understand. All you really need to know is that water is extremely incompressible. This is simply because the water molecules are so small already and they're already extremely attracted to each other so there's not a lot of space in between water molecules. As a result, this attraction brings the water molecules really close together and there's less space for the water molecules to move if there was an external force applied upon them. As a result, it's fairly easy to move or push water around because it's not really going to absorb that force. Instead, it's going to be applied to all the water molecules. Lastly, we're going to change gears here and talk a little bit about light. Light comes in many forms, but we're going to try and break it down so it's really easy. The first thing you need to know about light is light is a form of energy, and that energy presents itself in a wave. We can characterize these waves by what we call wavelength. And wavelength is simply the space between two waves or two peaks, right? So if a wave is, you know, going up, then down, and up, then down, if you were to draw a line in the center of those ups and those downs and those peaks and those valleys, the space in between one peak and the next peak is the wavelength or the space in between one valley and the next valley that is the wavelength and we measure that in meters now wavelengths can be anywhere from meters long to nanometers right which is super 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 small if we put all of the light on a spectrum based on its size there's actually only a small little section that we call visible light that's only the light that we can see, and it's a very small section of the entire spectrum. If we look at visible light as a spectrum itself, light is actually separated into different colors, and those different colors are associated with different wavelengths. At this point, ROYGBIV comes to mind. If you've never heard of ROYGBIV, it is an acronym that describes the colors from smallest wavelength to largest wavelength red orange yellow green blue indigo violet if this rings a bell hold on to that thought okay because these colors do make something that we're going to talk about later okay so keep listening there is one color of light though that is not on that spectrum that color of light is white white light when we talk about white light, like the light that comes from the sun, that is a combination of all of the wavelengths of all of the colors of light coming together at once. So we now know what colors of light and how we measure light as an energy. But the other thing we need to remember is that light has a speed, okay? It is something that has a speed and you can calculate that speed. The speed of light which is something you've probably heard of before is different when it's moving through air versus something like water when light hits water it actually slows down it also kind of bends a little bit and it it changes direction how light bends is actually based upon the angle at which it hits the water which is something we're not going to talk about today but it's important to know that some angles will reflect the light and others will just refract it the difference between reflection and refraction is really just the angle at which it comes back. The light comes back off of the water. 
Reflection is more like a mirror. Refraction is more like bending. Now, we talked about those three topics, and I promised I was going to give you 10 examples of how one or more of those concepts comes together and how it has to do with water. Let's dive into those now. First, have you ever seen a water strider? A water strider is one of those little bugs. They almost look like spiders, but they're not. They are bugs, insects, actually. And they stand and they can walk on water. It's absolutely fascinating. And a lot of times you're going to see them in, that's right, the summer. What's cool about water striders is they are so light and their legs are designed in such a way that it acts on surface tension, that force of surface tension, that allows them to walk on the water, allows them to walk on the surface of the water without falling in. So that's example one, water striders. They're awesome insects. If you've never seen them before in real life, I definitely recommend you go check them out. A lot of times you can see them on lakes or you can even see them on some streams. Next, example number two. Example number two is how leaves sit on top of water. Now I know this is more of a fall thing, but Leaves definitely fall in the summertime too. They don't hang on to trees the whole time. So when you throw a leaf into a body of water, it's actually going to sit on top. And that's because the weight and the spread and the surface area of that leaf allows it to distribute its weight evenly enough that it does not break the surface tension of the water. Leaves are not buoyant, and if you push a leaf through the surface of the water, it will sink. What allows them to sit on top of the water is their surface area spreads their weight evenly enough that it does not break the surface tension. Surface area is something that I didn't previously mention, but we'll throw a little bit about it in right now. Surface area is essentially the area or the space in which you apply a force. So if you have a really, really wide or really, really big object that has a large surface area. If its surface area is uh, the correct proportion to its weight, it will sit on top of the water, it won't break the surface. Now that's gotta be a fairly small amount of weight. However, the concept is the same. Next, example three. This is an example of both surface tension and compressibility in action. And again, it has to do with, that's right, summer. As a kid, I, I know you're smart enough to not do it now. Well, at least I hope you're smart enough to not do it now. But I know for a fact, you have most likely tried to belly flop. That's right. Belly flop. Talk about a blast from the past. Belly flopping is actually pretty interesting. And here's why it hurts. There's that surface tension that we talked about on the water, right? And water is really not very compressible, therefore it doesn't absorb shock or absorb force very well. As a result, you're using a large surface area with a you know specific weight, the weight of your body, or a specific force, which is you know gravity and mass times acceleration, all that stuff, okay? So you're coming at this body of water with a large surface area and the same amount of force as you would if you were, you know, diving or something like that. And you're hitting this water and that pain and that instance of, ouch, I just hit the water. That slight little instance is you being resisted into the water by surface tension. And that pain is also a result of the incompressibility of water not absorbing the force or the shock from your body hitting it. 
absolutely mind-blowing to know that uh, now there's a good reason for you to not try and belly flop because you know exactly why it's going to hurt. Next, example four. Example four is an example of compressibility. It also kind of has to do with surface tension as well, but it's more about the compressibility. Example four is water balloons. Water balloons hurt and they break because of that compressibility and a little bit about surface tension as well, but it's more about that compressibility, right? So you're throwing a confined volume of water and you're giving it a force, you're accelerating it, accelerating it, and because that water does not absorb that force, it gets immediately transferred and it gets transferred to uh, your friend or the person that you despise. And as a result, that force gets directly applied to that person and it breaks the balloon because the balloon cannot withstand that force. And this kind of brings us into example five. Example five is how hoses work. The reason why you can squirt water from a hose or put out a fire with a fire hose is because you can give water a fairly large amount of pressure and it's not going to compress. Instead, it's going to immediately transfer that force into wherever it's trying to go. So when you apply that force to water on one end of a hose, it's going to continue to transfer that force and move that water all the way out to the other end until it can get to a space where it's no longer uh, receiving that force. And this also kind of leads us into example six, which is a water gun. Water guns work on the concept of compressibility because water will not really absorb a force when you apply it. Therefore, you can apply a force on water to uh, shoot it through this gun. Next, example seven. Example seven has to do with light. If you've ever wondered why it's really dark in the depths of water, it's because that water is slowing down the energy of light or slowing down the speed of light as it hits it, and it's also bending it. And as a result, that decrease in energy continuously, continuously, continuously slows down the light until it is no longer moving through the water. That depth point or that point where light is not going to continue to pass through water is defined by uh, the the volume of water and the depth of water and the contents of the water and stuff like that. But that's why eventually the light is going to stop going through the water because that water is continuously slowing it down. Example eight is going to be the pencil and water trick. I, I'm almost certain that you've done this at some point in your life, but the reason why a pencil bends when you put it in water, right, it appears to bend even though it doesn't actually, is because the light that is reflecting from the pencil, which is why you can see the pencil. And that's kind of how we perceive objects and how we see is by uh, intaking the light that comes off of that object. But that's a whole anatomy lesson that we're not gonna dive into right now. But when the pencil is out of water, it bounces back at a different refractive angle than when it's in the water because the water is bending that light. Voila, it's not a magic trick, it's science. Example number nine, and this is the one that really kind of sparked my interest in this topic and putting it in summer, and that is rainbows, right? If you caught the fact that I mentioned Roy G. Biff earlier in this episode, you're now understanding why I mentioned it, and that is rainbows. 
Water does one other thing to light and it's really, really cool. When light hits water, it bends it and it bounces off of it, right? When light bounces off of these water molecules, it bounces in all sorts of directions and it makes the beam wider. When it makes the beam wider, it allows you to separate the different wavelengths because different wavelengths have different energies, but that's something you just need to know, not something we're gonna talk about here. Okay, these wavelengths have different energies and they bounce at different angles. When they bounce at different angles, they essentially spread out and act like a prism. If you haven't seen a prism before, you should go look one up. It's essentially a way that glass can take white light and spread it into its visual light spectrum. So because this water is spreading the light out, so it's taking white light and showing it in its entire visible spectrum, when it rains or when water starts to evaporate, the light from the sun passes through that water vapor, hitting those little droplets of water molecules, and as a result, it creates a rainbow. That's why you can never see the end of the rainbow, or you can never go to the end of the rainbow because the rainbow is continuous. Sometimes you'll see a unique double rainbow, which is really cool. So anytime you see a rainbow, it's actually all of the different wavelengths of light coming at you separately rather than together. Example number 10, the last example, is the reflection of a landscape on a lake. This is by far, my opinion, the most beautiful application of how light and water interact because it is it creates the most gorgeous pictures and the, the most gorgeous image that I think I could probably uh, describe. I absolutely love when this happens. But what I'm talking about is not just like you looking into a body of water and seeing your reflection. I'm talking about like how mountains and the landscape around a lake can reflect on the lake itself and it looks like it's mirroring it. That happens when light bounces off the landscape onto the water at just the right angle that it reflects rather than refracts. Absolutely stunning. And guess what? I have a bonus tip. That's right, a tip that I didn't mention before, but I really wanna talk about it because it's an awesome invention, really. This idea or this machine is a water jet cutter. If you've never seen a water jet cutter, I definitely recommend you go watch some videos. And it plays on compressibility of water, and that's how it works. So you apply a large, large pressure to water a pressure so large that it actually can cut metal. It requires an extreme amount of pressure, anywhere between 50,000 and 60,000 PSI. And some of these newer models actually have pressure up to 90,000 PSI, which is absurd. It is absolutely absurd when you think of the, t uh, the pressure in your car's tire at like 32 PSI, right? So this absurd amount of pressure applied to the water, which allows it to cut through metal. In summary, we talked about surface tension. Surface tension is how surface level water molecules bind together with greater force than molecules of water in a body of water. The ones at the surface bind together at a greater force because they are binding with less water molecules. And this allows things such as water striders to walk on water. We also talked about compressibility, which is 
that water is almost incompressible and it's the reason why your belly flops hurt and it's how hoses work. Third and lastly, we talked about light. We talked about the fact that light bends in water, but it can also bend so much that it reflects. When it doesn't bend enough to reflect, it's called refracting. That light is energy that gets slowed down and it also gets bounced off of water molecules, which allows us to see rainbows. Understanding these properties of water and these concepts allows us to make sense of the world around us. That's it for this week's episode. If you liked it and you're on YouTube, go ahead and hit the like button down below. If you like this enough that you want to see more, go ahead and hit subscribe. Don't forget, episodes come out every Monday. And if you want to stay informed, you can follow the show on Twitter at ScienceBasicPod. I encourage you to share this with a friend. For feedback and inquiries, please feel free to contact me at sciencebasically at gmail.com. Thank you.